We need your help, Happy. The family. He ain't my family. My mama and yours. Black sisters. Which means his kids are your family. His wife is your family. That makes him family. I got a cousin on death row. You want me to do what? Sit in the chair with him when the switch get thrown? I need leverage. Short term. Just some muscle from the country to puff me up. Show people I'm here to stay. That's a Costa Nostra, boy. This ain't no podunk thuggery. You think you're gonna what? Drive him out of town? Don't need him gone. Just in their place. This pressure from New York, none of us can afford a war much longer. You got all the slaughterhouse boys on your side. Texas cousins smuggling from Oklahoma. Shit, you make me sound like a big deal. Maybe you should be helping me. Lionel Holloway, stop messing around. You want to talk about all boats rising, that goes both ways. It don't matter if you think we should be in this war, we're in it. They killed my son, 10 years old. What did he ever do to anyone? And they killed him. And now they want to snuff us out. Us. Because after they string me up, they coming after you. Hello, hello, hello. It is Killer Casting, and I am Lisa Zambetti. I'm a casting director in Los Angeles. I guess I would be a casting director no matter where I lived, right? So I guess not just in L.A. You don't have to be in L.A. anymore to be an actor or a casting director. Yay! Uh, Anyway, so I am a casting director, probably best known for my work on a little tiny show called Criminal Minds for CBS. And with me today are my sexy beasts. Say hello. Hi from Down Under, it's Dean here in Melbourne, enjoying our uh, excellent recap on Fargo Series 4. Hello. Oh, and Brian's here. He decided to come back. We had to drag him kicking and screaming. You. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, he's pouting already. He's pout. Believe me. We're going to resume our coverage of the finale of season four of Fargo. And so let's jump right back in. So then we go back to episode 10. A lot of monologuing. Which I don't have any problem with. Because again, that's a break. Again, there could be a series or a film that you love a lot of mono- you know, monologuing in. So it's it's more the function of how they did it than that there is monologuing. And, and you don't get that that often, I don't think. The opening scene was something, a little device that I hadn't seen before, and I thought it was really good when the camera is sitting directly above the face of uh, Leon, isn't it? Leon, yeah, the Leon. And so there he is in situation, in, in, in situ. Who's Leon? Uh, Leon. Is it, isn't Leon the name of the uh, guy that put his hand up to be the bodyguard? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he, right, right, he's, right. he's been killed. He's been shot through the cheek. And so the camera's sitting there right right there above him. Uh, I think he's on the shore of a lake. And then his face doesn't move and the framing doesn't move, but then we're looking at the front page of the newspaper and there he is in the in the newspaper as, as if he's been shot as, as in a crime scene. And then from there it fades to him in the morgue on the, on the slab. That was really well done. Yeah, I just love all those those kind of tricks and, and just the layering of the storytelling, that of the visual storytelling that way. 
So now Otis, after killing U.S. Marshal Duffy, has had his come to Jesus moment and is, he's just arresting all the Italians. He doesn't care. He's sort of being the cop that he always wanted to be. Talk about a left turn uh, as a character. That seemed an interesting choice for that character. I think it's worth mentioning that these two episodes that we're going to be talking about, episode 10 and 11, happened. They were shot months after the f- the first part of the show because of covid and boy oh boy you can tell because because some some people look much different um satchel <laughs> has gained five inches of height and oh yeah okay that wasn't just me because i was looking at him on the bed in season 11 uh, in episode 11 thinking wait a minute are they two different actors they've done they've pulled the switch here how long was he gone uh, wait a minute and i think that they have ethel rita she's looking much more mature too i don't think that's because the actress was growing time has passed and you know she's getting ready to graduate and and, and it's just telling you how how long this war has been going on so because detective otis has been just you know the cock of the walk and the best suddenly the best detective in town the italians are are not having it now this i think was a weird misstep in the storytelling where they they the italians seem to be setting a trap for detective otis in his house and they're waiting in the car and i'm like well why aren't they waiting in his house if they're gonna kill him well and before that when he's in the precinct in the middle of a gang war we have a group of black gangsters and just down the street two car literally two cars down on the same street Looking from the window, Italian gangster, both groups waiting for Otis. I was like, this is very clunky because so they've set a trap for Otis in the house, which I imagine was going to be a bomb or something. Like he goes in and he gets blown up. And that's why they're waiting in a car. And it allows Gaetano and his brother Giusto, the two mob boss brothers, to sit there and have this moment. I know that you don't like these monologues, but I liked hearing this from Gaetano, from his point of view, being left behind. I love these peaks behind the door of the characters. I don't consider that model. I mean, that that's different. I mean, that's a conversation where Dr. Senator, you know, like being asked a question, like, let me tell you a story about the time I was in Nuremberg. I love that. You know, to like answer a question. That happens all throughout the series. And it's just like, it's just, it's but a flourish. Ha- but I think it's important to know that about Dr. Senator. How else are you going to know that to have somebody else give that exposition? I think that that we do that. You and I do that constantly. We model- All the things that we celebrated about Mr. In-Between, this show is the antithesis of. It's the absolute antithesis yeah. of. But this, that happens with style. Again, I guarantee you, you will have me watch something that you love and I will be, Brian, you see, there's a big monologue there and this happens all the time. Whatever your gut is, that, that. If it makes sense for the storytelling, fine. But these kind of grandiose, oh, I once had a puppy, yarns that get, it's, it is Holly just going off. But they are significant. It's not just, I had a puppy. Thinking that you're interviewing a war criminal for your brains and brain work and realizing, no, you were just a stunt that you were being used because of your race. That's an important story that I want to hear and I don't need to see it. I mean, I can hear it from somebody like Glenn Turman, any hoodle. Okay, so, but this is what I don't understand. So the two brothers are sitting there and they're having this connection, which I thought was, I don't know, I liked it, I liked it. But then Otis comes home and he goes into his apartment and it's been trashed, but nothing happens to him. And so he leaves and gets into his car 
Like, why? Why toss his place? What's the point of that? Why not just shoot him when he's getting out of his car to go into his house? Why not shoot him when he's up in his room? And as it turns out, Kitano gets out of the car and walks over and shoots him, shoots him and kills him. And I was like, okay, it seemed very, very anticlimactic until two milliseconds later when Gaetano stumbles and <laughs> kills him. I thought that, I mean, I loved that moment. I thought it, I loved that surprise. I felt like I could see it coming because it was so anticlimactic killing Otis. That did not work for me. Any thoughts, guys? Yeah, one of the things that bothers me in a lot of movies, in really good films, some bad guys are chasing a good guy or whatever, but they're parked out front of their house waiting for them to come home. Now, I know my neighborhood. I know the cars that are there. If I pull up and there's a strange car, it's going to catch my eye, let alone two hulking guys sitting in the car, and there are only six cars away from my place. I'm going to go, who are these guys? Like Brian said, what's happened is that they've gone in, they've trashed the apartment, then they've gotten left and have gotten back and sat in the car, and now they're waiting for him. They let him get out of the car, go all the way up to his apartment. Then one of them comes up stalking him and he runs away, and then he drops his keys and he's fumbling and he, and he ends up getting shot and all that sort of thing. But it was very convoluted. The one thing that I did notice Gaetano telling the story about being sent away at the age of 11 is the same as Satchel. He's also the same age. He's lost his father, or he's, he's lost you know, he's, the presence of his father, and he's had to go off and find his own way in the world. Did you have any reaction to Justo revealing his time with the Irishman, the three years? I was like, what? That came out of left field, but, and I wanted to know more about it, how that could explain some things. That was like a bomb that went nowhere. And I mean, and I, I remember from I remember from the original booking sheet of that character, you know, they showed everybody's booking sheet. His crime was sodomy. The Irish patriarch? Oh, wow. I did not see that. Although, I mean, they reference it a lot where Chris Rock's character is like, is my kid safe? Safe and sound. Is anybody taking him out to the woodshed? And I took that to mean both is he being beaten or being, you know, sexually assaulted. Um, yeah, that's that's a good point. And it made me feel sad for Justo just for a minute, but I couldn't sustain any sympathy for him at all. Not that I, I'm not sure I was, I'm supposed to. He's sort of a tragic comic character. So uh, just real quick. So Nurse Crazy tries to kill Ethel Rita and the ghost comes up behind her and scares her. There wasn't a consistency there. I wasn't sure how to take that moment. There's impending death. And so that's why the ghost is showing up to watch it happen or to shepherd it into happening. But why can the nerd see the specter? But inadvertently, it stops her. So I'm not sure it was, I, I don't know. That was the question mark for me. And I don't mind these things as long as I can, I don't have to stop and question them. I don't mind these things as, as long as I keep rolling with it and it makes some sort of gut sense to me. But when I have to stop and go away, then I get as irritated almost as Brian does. <laughs> mistakes okay but I didn't know about you don't have to do this hasn't it been enough killing <laughs> wait that a serious question listen to me this is it what they make us do. We're Paisan. Come on. We, we change our names. We eat each other. We forget. 
For what? Don't you get it, Joe? This is a ladder, but there's nowhere to go. Nah. Any last requests? Yeah, can you shoot him first so I can watch? What? Hey, I don't know about you, but I am a podcast addict. I love listening to my pods. But there's one small problem. They're only one-way communication, but fear not, dear listener, because thanks to technology, we can have a conversation. You can find us on all the usual socials, on Facebook, Insta, and Twitter, and YouTube, and we'll look forward to meeting you in the virtual space. Seems fitting for 2020. All right, later. People have always said you cannot start a play with a huge monologue. That is like bad. Like if you go to any playwriting class, they'll tell you that. What does Tony Kushner do? He starts fucking Angels in America with a huge monologue that doesn't necessarily connect right away. Any Anyway, and the same thing with Chekhov. I mean, if you were going to teach a class in how to write a great play, look at Chekhov and he doesn't attend to any of those rules whatsoever. So I'm not a big believer in talking about rules. Listen, and I'm not talking about rules. I'm talking about consistency and only telling the story, serving the story. And in my opinion, the story isn't served. I mean, there's just a lot of filler in all of these episodes. But also serving the story. I mean, that's that's a rule too to serve a story. I mean, there are some shows you watch, there's not even a story. You just want to hang out with these characters. So it's time. Let's talk about the finale. Dean just watched it. I watched it last night. And as I said, I missed the fucking <laughs> last scene. <laughs> but what do, what do we think in general of, of this finale? Dean, take us, take us home. So the episode is called Storia Americana, which to my English speaking, and that's all I speak is, look like it's the story of America. But if I pl- when I plugged it into Google Translate, it said history of, uh, or Storia is history, Storia is history. So we're back to this, we're, we're starting to close the loop out now on the be- very beginning of the, the opening scene is Ethel Rita talking about her history report. All in all, I did enjoy the episode before we get into the details. Uh, but much as we have commented, particularly on uh, the East West episode, you can enjoy them as a standalone, but maybe unlike the previous three series, maybe not so much as an arc from episode one to to the finale. But I enjoyed it. I really did. Maybe because it was only half an hour ago, but, uh, but, but, but I had a ball. There were some things that were clunky to me, like Chris Rock coming home and seeing the door open. And it just seemed like a very long scene for him to realize that it was his son that was home. You know, he sees the kid's shoes and the clothes. And so there's a scene in the in near the beginning of the episode where Chris Rock and the Italian consigliere are in the park together sitting. And they're like, okay, enough is enough. Let's try to resolve what's going on between us. And and I don't know what Ethel Rita's plan was by giving him the ring. I don't know if she even knows the significance of what that ring really means. I'm just not sure what her plan is. But um, something. No, wasn't the was it wasn't the implication that she she gives him the ring, and then Loy can take that to the Italians with the information and say this is the woman who killed him. Right here, we're giving this to you on a platter. 
He's the real killer of Donatello. But the problem is, is that she's not connecting the dots between the nurse and Justo. Correct. Yeah, there's no way that she would know any of that. So I'm not sure what the real leverage is. Like, okay, so it has an effect. It has a, uh, you know, it determines his fate. But it's not like Ethel Rita would have known that that would be the end of it. But any hoodle. Somehow, Chris Rock knows, and they make this this uh, bargain. But but at that moment, they okay make this bargain here. You know, we're gonna have some kind of a truce, and yet the consigliere doesn't tell Chris Rock that his son isn't really dead. I mean, right? I mean, that never is revealed to Chris Rock that his son isn't really dead. But does he know? Uh, do any of them know for sure that he's not? He's just disappeared. Though. Yeah. Yeah, the the Sigliarian knows that um, Satchel got away. How does he know? Because they all, they all. Well, I'm assuming that all of the henchmen know that the long faced Italian guy who was supposed to shoot him <laughs> did not finish the job and was killed and left out there for the birds. Somehow they knew Milligan killed him and took the kid. Yeah, so they know that Milligan is on the run with the kid. So the consigliere certainly knows that. And why doesn't he tell him right then and there, your son is not dead? I this that seemed like a hole for me for sure. So well, I mean, probably for the same reason that he doesn't adhere to the deal. Yeah, it suits him. It's it suits it suits. Um, what's the what's that new guy's name? The guy from New York, the the, the mob boss from New York. It's it suits him. What's the game? He already knows what he's going to do with Chris Rock, which we find out later. And the other thing that I bumped on was the consigliere and all of the the capos are like, okay, we're, we're going to kill you, Justo, because you conspired with the murder of your father. And he doesn't ever say, she misunderstood me when I said, take care of my father. I literally meant take care of my Like He doesn't offer any... Thing that that is true. I mean, I didn't think that he was saying to kill her, his father. Did you guys? No, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I can remember the scene when he says that, and 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 it's very clear that he's saying to 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 you know treat him as a nurse, not to bump him. I wouldn't say it was clear at all. I wouldn't say it was, like because in my notes, I'm like, how does he know that she's going to do this thing for him? Because the way he says it, I mean, they got high together. And the way he says it to her is like, he's in a lot of pain. It would sure be nice if someone could take care. Because Schwartzman has that style of acting where nothing is sincere. How does he know that she'll do this for him? How does he know that? Because she ends up doing it. Like, I I felt like he was absolutely communicating to her like, Oh, I didn't. I Well, to your point, because he doesn't know that she's a whack job killer nurse, I just thought it was a complete misunderstanding. And she keeps saying to him, Every, I've done so much for you. And he doesn't react like, he never thanks her, right? Right. He never, they never have a wink, wink, thanks for doing, yeah. So I think it was a complete, just a misunderstanding. And so that's why I don't understand that when it's put to him in front of this jury, um, that he doesn't explain that. But anyway. Yeah, but, but um, like you, Lisa, you're waiting for those exact words. I didn't mean it that way. And it, right. he doesn't actually, you just, I'm, I'm willing him to say, no, 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 no. I didn't mean it that way. I meant blah. And of course they just take her word. And so, you know, both of their fates are sealed. Although, although uh, <laughs> she doesn't realize that initially. So is it, I mean, is it possible, is it possible because we have already called him the Fredo of crime bosses that he cannot defend himself because he did mean it that way? Well, it certainly seemed like all of a sudden he was like rethinking his words and going, 
Oh, I can see how she, I don't know. I was completely confused at that moment, but I still love the moment. I, I just still, for all its flaws and faults, I love that coming together of it all. I loved her standing there in front of him and her craziness and then them being marched out to be executed. I just loved every moment of it. Even though I knew that they were going to be killed, I was breathlessly watching that scene happen like, oh, my God. And, and Lisa, they were marched off to be executed to what? What was the soundtrack? All of the family stomping on the floorboards, stomping, stomping, stomping. Here's the problem finally that I have. And I said, I mentioned it in the first podcast. If they had made this a gangland series, like set before what we know is like the mafia or Cosa Nostra before it became organized crime, like Miller's Crossing is, if it, or any of the movies from the 30s that were gangland oriented, if it had been set in that time period, which so much of like, what happens in here and like the costuming at costuming at times, that's where it wants to be. It wants to reside in a reality that is not tied to a reality that we are familiar with through entertainment and through documentaries. And so when the concierge in this episode see, says, we need a new way, we need a new way, a national way of with these various cities. It's 1950. That was already done. And I'm a casual, probably more than casual mafia fan, but we've had so much entertainment that nothing rings true because of that. Like Dizzy, like mentioning Dizzy Gillespie or Charlie Parker. It was 1950. These guys were established and to call them like new. I mean, you, I'm not you know, maybe that I think that. maybe that's it is that this show wants to be a pre-depression um, period piece. If it had been set in that time in this kind of like dreams, because if you watch Miller's Crossing, it has all the trappings of like that kind of 30s style and swagger. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, you know, although, yeah, yeah, I, I understand. You. And the reason, yeah. and this is, and the reason why they don't do that is because Mike Milligan is the thing, is the payoff at the end, and he has to exist in the 70s. If you put the story in the 20s and 30s, that little Easter egg goes away. And that's finally my problem with it, because it's those kinds of like glaring, really glaring inconsistencies. That's what blows up the whole thing for me. Again, like if we had done it in the 20s and 30s in this kind of dreamscape or whatever, then all of it works for me a lot better. But when you tie it to, when you tie it to something specific and they mention Cosa Nostra, they, they mention it specifically if it had been outside of that created a, a world of its own, this thing then works. So, well, I, I love that thing that the conciliary says is that he's basically ending this primogeniture of, you know, the son inheriting because, you know, families are crazy. I love that. You know, we're going to end this matria, mafia patriarchy. But did that really happen? It was never fathers to sons. Lucky Luciano, like, is in control of the five families or whatever. He ends up going to prison. And then it always goes to a second in command. There's very, there's very few times where it's like, a, it, in fact, I can't think of a single time where it's a familial, like, handing over from a crime boss to his son. Right. So then the Godfather is not an actual accurate depiction. Well, there you go. That's not accurate. But they create 
their own world. They do a system of like the of five families, but they don't pretend to be. It's a fictional representation. And I was thinking about this today. The the comment about in this show, what do they do crime-wise? Like, how do they make money? I think about Godfather. What do they do to make money? What do we, I mean, what do we see them do to make money? I don't know. Well, we know it's not drugs. We know it's not drugs. because it's not drugs. They won't do drugs. That's the whole thing. That's the whole thing. You know what I mean? But we don't see them actually doing crime stuff. So let's try to enjoy it on this level. I loved things like before Nurse Crazy Cakes is executed, her line, can you shoot him first? Because I want to watch. I mean, I love that. I love that. Those that thing that pays off for me in some way. Did you notice the extremity, the change in her walk as the series? I, I didn't notice the change. I I noticed that it was actually weirdly more pronounced when she gets out of prison. She's like her little duck walk is even more pronounced. And I was wondering if that's because This was shot so far away from her original depiction of it. Trying to get back to it, it seemed a little more put on and stiff. She's going to pack and she's like going back and forth between the closet and her, she's doing crazy walk. I always noticed the walk. It was very stiff in the beginning, but this seemed like very caricatured. With that scene, Lisa, I actually replayed it. So I watched it and then before they went away from that, I just rewound it when they walked them into the, the field. And of course, Lisa, when you see Miller's Crossing, once again. But but yeah, she says, can you shoot him first? And while while Justo is uh, so, about to say, what do you mean? And he, bam, he's gone. And then she looks at him and she's smiling. She's enjoying watching, you know, his brains leak out on the bottom of the hole. And then I'm thinking, so the only sex that they have is when she's suffocating him. So taking him near to death. So that whole sex and death cycle thing. And so she's looking at that, but then she knows she's got to pay the price. And she turns around and the camera is sort of in the hole and looking up at the grave and looking up at at her and she turns around. And then you expect a reverse, a typical reverse then of maybe her face. But instead, great scene, he shoots the window of the car that's facing her. So her image is not pristine like it would be if he shot it with a camera it's kind of mottled because the glass is not perfect and brian i don't know if you noticed this but over over her right shoulder i'm pretty sure it's the ghost oh really oh i didn't notice that i didn't notice that but i did notice the reflection it was muddled yeah like yeah yeah muddled that's exactly the word i used when i wrote it down i went muddled and i'm looking at it and i'm thinking because i had no time i had to get up here and start recording i'm like i want to go back and look at that again so the other the other uh reference did we all catch uh lloyd cannon with the bag of oranges oh yeah oh i want to talk yeah, about yeah. that in, in a second i, mean, I, I didn't but uh, yeah i want to talk about that in a second so um but i did love dean is the long shot that they show of uh the nurse getting her head blown off and falling into the grave i mean i just love these choices the composition of the shots and the POV of the shots, I loved. Chris Rock's character, you know, he's getting fucked by the Italians in the end, but he's coming home and I loved his acting in this. I love the sort of deflated but resigned and then he comes up to his house on the porch and he can see his family through the window and his son is back and everybody's safe. And I knew something was going to happen, but I had forgotten about Zelmar. And to your point, Dean, about when uh, Nurse Crazy Cakes is looking at Jason Schwartzman when he's dying. From my other life on Real Crime Profile, I know that psychopaths love that moment. 
that moment where the person who's dying knows that they're dying and and or just watching the life leave someone is what gets them off. Watching Zelmar stab Chris Rock and the way that she's watch I mean, it's this way that she's watching him, watching him, watching him die. Um, I find that very powerful. I, I, I have to say that character I found to be the most compelling, most well-drawn. I have no question about like who she is, what she wants, nothing. I mean, it's like, it's all right there. To me, she is like the most compelling She's so compelling. She's so fascinating. She just feels so in the moment and alive in all of her scenes. The way that she looks at and the way that her, she um, shifts her body, the way that her body reacts to what she's doing. And she, she as he's um, sliding down the side of the house, dying, and she's she slides down with him to watch, 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 watch him to the very, very end. I love that shit. I mean, I just love those choices. Throughout the, the series, she's demonstrated that she will just not do things on impulse, yes, but she'll also consider things and then say, fuck it, I'm going to do it anyway, right? A bit like crazy nurse. In other words, she'll just do things on chance and she'll just hope that it all works out. Her last name in, in, in the uh, series is Roulette. <laughs> yep, Roulette. <laughs> I, haven't, right. I haven't noticed the names in previous Fargos as crazy as they have been as much as I have in this. There's some absolutely bonkers names. What's it? Constant Calamita. Right, this is wherever he goes. It's just constant calamity. So yeah, so she she uh, stabs the hell out of him, and he's he drops his bag of groceries, and these oranges roll out. Now I know that that's significant, but I didn't know. I don't. You're going to tell me why? If you drop a grab bag of groceries and some bananas fall out, it's not the same <laughs> as when orange. Something about the color and they're rolling around. There's something kind of so helpless about oranges kind of going everywhere. And I know that I've seen it somewhere and I don't know where. It's Godfather 1, an assassination scene. When Fredo is with Don Corleone and they he's getting oranges and they're about to go to the car and then the two figures run up and they shoot Don Corleone gotcha. in the street. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Like he's got a bag of oranges. That's all he's got. A paper bag of oranges, right? Yeah, and they spill on the floor and this has been picked up. And by the way, he dies. Remember his, his death scene in one. He's got the he's, got he's the chasing his orange, grandson. And he puts yeah, the yeah. orange peel in his mouth, and he's chasing his kid, and, and he dies. And so Noah's having fun with this because, of course, in the episode entitled "Ring of Fire," when the black guys get the Italians and they give Constant his sort of circle with the hot gun, the back of that truck that they set on fire is full of oranges. And when uh, everything was looking great for uh, for Loy, but you do have already that sense of foreboding. And then in the shot where it's looking from inside the house to out and you can see him looking through the window. And then just at the bottom of the shot, you can see the bag with the oranges in it. And I went, ah, bugger. (laughs) 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 Uh, It was all going so well. You know, as you said, he accepted his fate. Uh, It wasn't, he he wasn't taking over. He was resigned to being a a foot soldier now for for the mafioso. But, you know, he had his family, he had his son back and everything was going to be fine. Right up until I saw those. Right. And there's nothing harder, I think. Well, I guess two things are really hard when you're an actor playing a love scene and playing a death scene. (laughs) You know, playing that you're dying is because it can be just so cringy and unbelievable. And I thought it was fascinating the way that they had Chris Rock die or the way that the acting choices he made as he's his face, his eyes are like in shock and terror and struggling to breathe. And I just I found it very affecting and it's not 
he doesn't look comical, but he doesn't look like, oh, son, I'm dying. Like it, it wasn't a, a graceful way to die. Some actors would be too vain to let themselves look like that. You know, and so I really appreciated it. But this is where the casting for me, I guess I am going to say it, I, of the little boy Satchel, I just, it didn't get me. It didn't grab me in the gut, his reaction. I, I don't know if this is a directorial choice. I don't know what, but it just didn't seem like he fully comprehended or loved his father or what. I didn't, I just didn't feel him in that. And quite frankly, for most, most of the series, I didn't quite feel him. His, his look is amazing. But his actual acting skills for me just, for me, felt like the weaker link. So, uh, It's funny you should mention that, Lisa, because when Chris walks into the house and you're looking at it and then you see the red cap and you see the shoes and then you see the jeans and I'm like, oh, okay. Now, now we know he's back. And uh, I made a note earlier in the episode, it might have been actually 10, um, the scene where He's walking down the road. Yeah, it was. It was ten. It was east west because it was mm-hmm. still in the uh, in, in in the whole um, you know Wizard of Oz theme where he's got the dog. He's walking down the back roads and two rednecks in a red pickup truck pull up beside of him and they, they're giving him shit and he whips out the gun eventually and tells them no more. You don't tell me anything. Blah 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 blah. He just looks at them and says fuck off, and they drove off shocked. And I went ah that's the birth of Mike Milligan right. That's where he became you know, what he's going to become. And so then we get to 11 then. Now, he was not happy about going in the first place. For a minute, I thought maybe Satchel's going to kill Lloyd for doing what he did. Then there's the the family reunion scene. But if you look at it again, I paused again and rewound. There's one particular shot in that where everyone's happy, but his Satchel's, he's looking at his father. He's not happy. And I went, ooh, Okay, I wonder if this is going to go, go bad. Well, it, it did go bad shortly thereafter, but not at the hands of Satchel. I actually thought that Satchel, having that look with Zamar, I thought that that he was going to pull out the gun and shoot her. Oh, right. I really, I mean, I had the, because it was such a sustained look, and he is in a place of just kind of like unhappiness or just kind of numb. I just thought, he's still got the gun, maybe. Wow, quite a scene. And I thought, and then Ethel Rita apparently. <laughs> All is fine in the world of the Smutneys. It's she's graduating and moving on to to bigger and better things. So it, this is definitely a tragic story that has somewhat of a happy ending for her. Um, and then, as I said, I thought that was the end. And apparently, you know, I missed the the Bokeem Woodbine scene at the end driving. But overall, I just thought there was just a lot of majestic work in this series uh, from the just the chiaroscura of some of the camera work and the lighting the use of architecture the use of patterns the, i mean there was just when i go back and i look at the way they would shoot something the pov even if we if you go back to detective otis's dumb death even him just trying to get into his apartment the camera is actually underneath him and shooting up from the floor showing him trying to get I don't know just little things like that I just love the care and we didn't talk about this but when you think Loy is going to be assassinated where he's standing in the front of this window and the light is just streaming in and and you think that it's a done deal he's going to be assassinated and just that whole orchestrating of of that shot and and the series I really appreciated it it's just just a rich rich tapestry for me so. And listen, I'm not saying that it's not beautiful. I mean, it is well shot. It is beautiful to look at. <laughs> Good. We agree on something. 
The Brian, were you happy enough at the end when the New York City boss gives his speech to Loy when he, he has that dawning realization that he's not going to be a big wheel? In fact, he's going to be a small cog in a machine. And the Italian guy says, uh, "You're a big fish in a little pond, but we are the ocean." And so it made me think, along with the race element of this is also the big business thing, right? It's like, well, you can kill me. We're like IBM. You can kill me and they'll just send another guy, another manager. So there's no point to that, right? There's just you. So it's like crime doesn't pay if you're black and it doesn't pay if you're regional, but it does pay if you're white, and particularly if you're national. In other words, if you're organized, you know, and now we're getting to the organized part of organized crime. Did you think that was a, a subtext that, uh, you know, this was the sort of the beginning of the corporatization of wrongdoing? And that's my, that's my beef. Like that happened 20 years prior. Okay. So it's a timing issue, right? 1950, 1950, it's already established. You know, the commission kind of running all of the, re- everybody, like all the regional bosses, like, had control over their cities, but they all they all reported to the commission in New York. And I think the commission was made up of the five families plus like regional heads, whatever. Well, it is interesting that Noah Hawley says that he reshot and reshot the end of the finale several times. And one of them was showing Bakim Woodbine, the grown-up Mike Mulligan, actually going to work for the corporate arm of the mafia. I guess they shot it and they realized, no, this is just starting a whole other... <laughs> A whole other thing. It's not ending a series. It's like starting a whole new series. So it's interesting. So with Mike in series two, he's now working for the Kansas City mob and he's sent into Fargo to sort things out, which he does. Then he thinks he's going to get his big reward. And what happens to him? He gets the same treatment as Loy got at the end. He was put in a pokey little office. Brian, remember that shot? He's in his tight little office. There's barely room for his table and chair. And they're sort of patting him on the head saying, yeah, you did good. Now you're going to get, you know, you've you've gotten a promotion. But in fact, it's not a promotion. So it was almost like the same way that Loy was, that the Italian said to him, no, you're not going to be the guy you thought you were. You're just going to work for us. Uh, What was the line? He says, you're taking half of my business. And then the New York boss says, uh, we're leaving you half of your business. Had Lloyd been able to warn his son, he wouldn't have known what was going to happen, but Mike slash Satchel ends up in the same position as Lloyd did in the end of series four. That was a bit of a symmetry that I just realized as you're talking. Well, for me, it was a great ride. I'm really glad that I watched it. And it makes me feel like, hey, if I go back and watch for the first time seasons one, two, and three, I'm sure I have great things in store watching those seasons. And I love that I've met so many new performers that I didn't know about. I love that I watched Chris Rock take on really the role of his career. And and I thought he delivered and let me once again shout out to uh, all of the Chicago actors who populated this world. I hope that Hollywood takes note. Like there is a huge uh, and very able talent base in that town that do really, really, really good work. It is a dynamic town. And I hope Hollywood is paying attention. And to what you're saying, Brian, I would say that the best actress I've ever seen have been regional theater actors. People don't know. I mean, as much as we we love our Meryl Streep's and our, you know, Al Pacino's and our whoever, whoever, the best actors out there are doing regional theater in obscurity. And I would love to amplify them and bring them out into the light as often as I can. Anyway, okay. So that is, wow. I'm exhausted. Fargo season four in the rear window. And I can't wait for the next show that we're going to take apart and talk about. So for now, this is Killer Casting signing out. 
Killer Casting is a concept created and produced by me, Lisa Zambetti, with audio engineering by Dean Laffin, logo art by the lovely April Laffin, website and big old fat opinions courtesy of Brian Allen Hill.